worship team for leading us so well this morning. Amazing this morning, wasn't it? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you a ton. Yeah. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you? 11. Exactly. Some of you are like 1. Other of you are 11, right? Um, I know that one of the funny conversations I've had with my wife over the last 16 years is um, she always is uh, surprised when I kind of open up to her about uh, things that I'm not confident about. And a lot of times that's to do with not necessarily having a doubt in God, but having a doubt in myself and wrestling with insecurities, wrestling with things that, that I wonder about and worry about and have anxiousness about. And she's, she's always caught off guard because for her vantage point, she's like, you're one of the most confident people I've ever met in my entire life. And she wrestles oftentimes with a lot of different things. But oftentimes our, our confidences are actually just masks, right? They're just insecurities that we're trying to hide, that we're trying to cover up. And some of the questions that I have asked myself and I think that all of us ask is, why would God choose to use somebody like me? Anybody ever ask that question? Why would God choose to use somebody like me? We all wrestle with doubt and insecurity. We all wrestle with questions with the Lord. Um, but oftentimes it's not the Lord that we wrestle with, it's ourselves. We wrestle with our weaknesses. We wrestle with our, our fears and our worries. And today we're going to look at a person that many of us, I think, may, may relate to in that regard. And what we're going to find out as we've been looking through this whole sermon series of someone else's shoes is, is we're looking through these secondary characters we find in Scripture, people that we don't necessarily talk about a lot. And what we're going to find out as we see over and over again is we're wrestling with this question, who are the people that God actually uses? What are they like? Uh, we are in the book of Judges right now. And in the book of Judges, we, we introduced a character last week, character of Deborah, and we've been talking about the cycle of the judges. And I, I jokingly said last week that if you're in a depressed state, don't read the book of Judges right now because it's a really depressing book as you actually read through it. Um, if you don't know what that means, this is what it means. There's a cycle to the book of Judges. It's a, actually a book of tragedy. And, and here's what the cycle is. It's a cycle of the judges um, really doing evil in the sight of the Lord, usually worshiping foreign gods and them crying out uh, to, the, to the Lord because they're oppressed by their enemies as God hands them over to their, their, their choosing of, of worshiping other gods. And God usually raises up a judge to deliver them after they cry out to the Lord. And there's peace for a time until the Israelites once again do evil and the story starts all over again. And so it's just repeat, repeat, repeat through the whole book of Judges. And here's the other thing about it is as the book of Judges moves forward, not only is that the cycle that takes place, but each group of judges actually start off really well, and then they slowly kind of get worse and worse and worse. And so what we've decided to do is we've, we've decided that we're going to start with the group first section of the judges that were actually really good, and that was Deborah last week. Uh, we're going to choose one this week of a judge that's okay, wrestles through some things, does some things well, but also make some mistakes and that person's Gideon and then next week we're going to just deal with the worst of the worst and we're going to dive into Samson who is just a complete knucklehead okay so we're going to dive in this morning to Gideon what made Gideon an okay judge 
Well, Judges chapter 6, you're going to notice some vocabulary that we uh, wrestled with last week again. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? This is the cycle. Here it is all over again. Did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So we've learned the cycle, right? Oppression, not choosing to worship the Lord. They cry out for help. So what is God going to raise up? God's going to raise up a, a judge. And who is that judge? It's Gideon. Verse 11, chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. You didn't know Oprah was in the Bible, did you? There it is, right there. There she is. No. Ophrah is the correct pronunciation. They belonged to Joash the Abarazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So this is the situation. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not something you normally do. But why is he doing that? They are so oppressed that their food is being captured. And so he's doing this in secret in a wine press. And it says that as he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the Midianites, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Everybody say mighty warrior this morning. Mighty warrior. Here's what we need to understand about how God works with our insecurities, how God works with our lack of doubt or with our doubt and our lack of faith. That God is someone who speaks over us the truth of what he sees in us. God speaks over us the truth of what he sees in us. He calls out to Gideon and says, you are a mighty warrior. What's fascinating is we look at the rest of the story. Gideon absolutely becomes a mighty warrior, but it's a process. It's a process. The Bible talks about how we as his people, that God always sees more in us than we actually see in ourselves. The Bible says that we are actually something very, very amazing. In the New Testament, it says this in Ephesians chapter 2, that for we are God's, what's that word? For we are God's, what's it say? Handiwork? I don't really like that translation. I like the original NIV that said that God has made us for we are God's. Does anybody know the original translation? We are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. And that word masterpiece is translated beautiful creation that's made for a purpose. We are God's masterpiece. Beautiful creation made for a purpose, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That that's how God sees every single one of his children. A mighty warrior, a masterpiece, somebody that is beautiful and made for a purpose, for his glory and his creation. And this is how God sees Gideon. Now, if God were to come to you and say, you're a mighty warrior, you're an amazing masterpiece, 
and he spoke to you those words, you would think that God spoke to you and you heard those words, that you would move into that reality and believe that and act on it, wouldn't you? Here's the reality, you probably wouldn't. Gideon doesn't. Look at what Gideon says in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon responds, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I don't know what Gideon experienced in his lifetime. I don't know what pain he experienced. I don't know what doubt he wrestled with, but I want you to notice the vocabulary. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I am the smallest, the least, the youngest. I'm nobody. Is what I hear Gideon saying. It makes me think about so many of us enter into life with maybe a lot of dreams and hopes and expectations. And oftentimes those hopes and dreams and expectations that are dashed because of the things that we experience leave us in a place where we, we actually cry out to the Lord, could you actually use me? Am I actually even able to be a part of your plans and your purposes? I mean, God... I'm just a nobody. And it reminds me of how in life it is so important for us to make sure that we process the pains and disappointments in life because if we don't process those things, if we don't take those things to the Lord, it can lead us to a place of, could God really use me? That's where Gideon's at. How could God, you, how could you actually use me? It reminds me of a, of a story this week. I got permission to share this story, if you're just wondering, of my daughter. She is an amazing softball player as she's following the footsteps of her brother, who's a great baseball player too. And she's starting to try out for different teams as that's the type of season that we're in right now. And she experienced the pain that many of you maybe have experienced before. And you may think, oh yeah, I experienced that before. And how these things in life that we go through, it's important for us to process them with the right filter. You see, she's been working out with a bunch of girls that are really good softball players. And she's a really good softball player, but these girls are really good at softball. And sure enough, at the end of practice this week, they got a girl cap, two girl captains, and you know where the story goes. They decided to pick teams. And guess who was picked last? You ever been picked last before? Have you ever been in a place where you've been picked last and you realize, oh, I'm picked last because... I'm the worst. I'm the least. And I've processed with her about three different times to help her understand that it doesn't matter where you're at right now. The question is, what do you want? What does God want? And are you willing to put in the work to grow and to get better? And realize that no matter where you end up, your dad loves you and God loves you. And even though you may feel like you're the least or the unwanted or the last picked, 
that God always looks at you and says, you're my first pick. Pretty important conversation for a 10-year-old. Would you agree with that? What if that conversation didn't happen for Alice? What could she believe about herself the rest of her life? What could the enemy do if a conversation wasn't looked at when it comes to how God actually speaks truth over us and sees us in the midst of life's difficulties. And maybe no one walked beside Gideon and had that conversation. But for Gideon, we see he's saying, how could you use me, God? And I don't know how Alice is gonna grow up and process this. This is what I will tell her. She'll always, she'll always be number one in my eyes, right? And the truth is the same about God. He speaks truth over us, even though we may not even believe it for ourselves. And God looks at Gideon and says, I believe in you. And how often does God invite us into something that's amazing, that's wonderful, that's out of this world, and the first thing that we think about is, me? Really? Me? Could God really use me? And here's the thing, he believes in you. He believes in you, and he's calling you to great things because here's the thing. God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. Don't let your insecurity make you think that God can't use you. Look at verse 17. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, if you truly are going to use me, is the translation I would use. Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And so what Gideon does is he, pre he prepares an offering before the Lord. And as he pre prepares that offering before the Lord, he presents it and the Lord consumes it with fire before his eyes. And this is what Gideon says. It's not in your notes, but this is what he says. He says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he explained, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die because I'm going to use you. This is the moment that everything changed for Gideon. This is the moment that he never had any doubts. This is the moment that he changed his life and completely committed to the Lord. He never doubted God ever again. Is that the story of Gideon? No. He keeps testing God. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 33. I want to tell you this story in chapter 6, verse 33, but I got to tell you this something that's really funny. Gideon obeys what God wants him to do, and God says, hey, before I send you into battle, I want you to actually destroy the altar that, that is worshiped with Baal and Asherah, and I want you to completely destroy it. And so just remember this, that God just heard from, uh, Gideon just heard from God and actually saw him consume a sacrifice before his eyes. And so he says, I wanna, I wanna send you out. Destroy this altar and then I'm gonna send you into battle. So Gideon decides, I'm gonna go ahead and destroy the altar. But do you know when he does it? In the middle of the night. Do you wanna know why? He's afraid of what his own people will do and he's afraid of what the Midianites will do. So what does he do? He does it in the middle of the night, which is exactly probably what I would do, probably. It's like, well, I don't know what's gonna happen. The Lord just showed him a miracle and says, I've got your back. He says, well, I'll do it, Lord, but I'm gonna do it in the middle of the night. 
So does Gideon get better? Let's see what happens in the next story. Chapter 6, verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers through Manasseh, calling them to arms, and going in Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that, so that they, went, they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hands, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said." And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. His, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Does he have struggles with trusting God? <laughs> he always says yes, but Lord, can you, can you prove it to me? Can you show me? Anybody relate to this? Yes, Lord, but... So he makes one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Seriously, man? Seriously, okay. That night God did so, and only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Here's the thing we're going to see with God and how he interacts with Gideon is this, is that God is patient with Gideon in his journey of trusting God's voice and that God is using the insecure. God is using the insecure. And we have to understand how patient God is. Even as we read the Judges, it is 400 years of history. And God continues to use people after people after people that wrestle with faith, that wrestle with trusting God, that God is patient. And we have to be a people that have to be willing to learn from Gideon and say, I don't want to be like Gideon. I just want to trust the Lord. That all that he gives me that is good, that all that he allows, even though it's painful, the things that he allows, he can work them out for good. If we're willing to continue to walk in faith. The brokenness that you've experienced in your marriage, he can work it out for good. The brokenness that you've experienced in your job, that job that you said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then just bless it, Lord. Let me know. And then you walk through it and it ends up being a painful reality. He can use it for good. And we can't think that God is up in the sky thinking about how he can punish us or trick us. I think that sometimes that we think that that's how God works. Another well-known pastor used this illustration, and, and lucky for you, I forgot my jelly beans this morning at the house. They're coming second hour. But have you ever heard of the game Bean Boozled? <laughs> Some of you view God that way. That God is trying to trick you, punish you. You might be saying, what is being boozled? For those of you guys that don't know, this is what being boozled is. I've got a picture here. It's a box of jelly beans that look exactly the same. And as you enter that jelly bean into your mouth, you have no idea whether it's the good jelly bean or the bad jelly bean. We were going to do that this morning here on the stage, but I forgot the jelly beans. But second hour, it's going to happen because my wife's bringing it, okay? And my son Noah has agreed to do it with me. We're going to see which one it is. Is it spoiled milk or coconut? Is it dead fish or strawberry banana smoothie? Rotten egg or buttered popcorn? Toothpaste or berry blue? Barf or peach? We just said barf in church. It's awesome. 
canned dog food or chocolate pudding, booger or juicy pear, moldy cheese or Colorado clone, stinky socks, my goodness, tutti frutti, lawn clippings or lime. God is patient with Gideon. And he is not out giving jelly beans to Gideon trying to trick him. No, he is saying over and over and over again, I've got your back. I've got your back. Does God really have my back? Or is he going to bamboozle me? God wants to use you. He wants to bless you. Chapter 7. It says, early in the morning that Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 20,000 men left. While 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out if you were there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of others. 300 men. If Gideon was insecure before, here we go, right? What do we learn? Here's the thing. Gideon doesn't ask the Lord to test anything. Gideon doesn't say, Lord, are you sure you really want me to do this? Gideon doesn't, doesn't cry out to the Lord and ask for another, another due test. He just says yes. Which gives us hope for all of us. Gideon is starting to trust God's voice. And not only is Gideon starting to trust God's voice, here's what I've realized in my own walk with the Lord. This isn't in your notes. This is for free. But here's the thing. As you walk with Jesus, faith actually is not something that just actually gets easier. God will continue to push you into greater, into greater, into greater depths of intimacy and obedience and faith as you walk with him. And the things that you used to think were really hard are elementary. And the things you used to go, I never thought that I would take this next step. God says, I want you to take that next step. And we see from Gideon, he takes the next step. Sure enough, after a dream, an interpretation of the dream, Gideon sets out to attack. In Judges chapter 7, it says this, Gideon and, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed their jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zariah, and as far as the border of Abel and Mahola near Tabith, Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideonites sent messengers through the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. Gideon is a judge who does amazing things for the Lord and is also a judge that wrestles with doubt and insecurity about how God could actually use him. What's the takeaway? You don't have to allow the insecurity of your life to drive you. God's inviting you to trust his voice. God's inviting you to trust him into deeper intimacy, deeper obedience, and deeper faith. And when that happens, life is on the other end of trusting God. Life is on the other end of saying no to the insecurity, no to the fear, and yes to Jesus and his voice. This is what I know. Gideon, over and over again, asks God for tests. Gideon, over and over again, asks God to prove himself. And what you're going to find out if you spend time this week reading the next chapter of Gideon, Gideon does some pretty horrible things. He actually actually murders people. (laughs) And I would argue out of his own insecurity, he murders people. And here's what we can learn over and over and over again is that God actually uses us. We're failures. Every single one of us. We fail. But we're not defined by the failure. We're we're defined by the goodness of God as he continues to believe in us over and over and over and over again. You don't have to allow your failures, your insecurities, your doubts to define you. God looks at you and says, you are a masterpiece. And I've set you apart to do great things. There's nothing more rewarding as a pastor than when you see people's lives radically transformed. I want to tell you about Maggie. Some of you guys know Maggie. You saw her get baptized. Um, I think it was this spring she got baptized. And when Maggie came into real life, This is what I want you to know about Maggie. She was timid, full of fear. I asked her, can I use this word? She was insecure, and she goes, yes. And over time, as she is growing with the Lord and growing with friends and family that love her, she is slowly transforming. Even in this picture of her getting baptized, like, She was a nervous wreck. (laughs) And in the process of of walking beside her, one of the things that she was wrestling with with life was the pain that she had experienced with her own family. She was completely estranged from her brother. Had been for years. And what was cool about me and Maggie's relationship is that her brother actually, my wife had played with her and her family and friends on multiple softball teams here in the valley 
And so my wife and I began to pray about what God could do in bringing reconciliation. And Maggie chose to cast away fear and worry and insecurity and chose to reach out to her brother. Come to find out through different people that her brother was about ready to have another son. And over time, her brother decided to give her another chance of relationship. This is her nephew that she's holding. Last week, she approached our team and said, the Lord is calling on me to step in and serve at some capacity in this church. Where is the fearful, full of worry, timid, insecure Maggie going away? What is Maggie becoming? She's becoming the truth of what God says and sees over her, that she is a wonderful masterpiece. And what is she becoming? She's becoming more like Jesus. Would you agree, church? This is the story that God is calling us to be as a church, walking beside people and helping them learn to trust the truth of who God is, what he says about us, and to walk in that and to live in that. This is what living looks like, as we sang earlier this morning. This is what freedom looks like. So my question for you as we get ready to go to communion is what insecurity do you need to let go of today? What doubt do you need to let go of today? What is it that God is inviting you into? What is it that Jesus is inviting you into and saying, trust me? And here's the thing. You have kind of like three options when it comes to that. The first option is to, is to just not trust God, to not walk in that, to disregard that, to continue to live with insecurity, fear, hurts, pain, whatever it is that's keeping you from fully trusting God. You can keep doing that. Number two, you could be like Gideon, kind of slow roll the trust and keep asking God for different things. God, are you really sure? If you do this, then I'll do that. Or you can do what I recommend. Just jump in head first. Just jump in. Trust him. See what he's got for you on the other side. And here's what I know. There's a whole army of people here in real life that are ready to walk beside you as you jump in. Maybe not head first, but cannonball style, that works too. Just jump in. Let go of the insecurity. Let go of the fear. Just jump in. Trust him. Trust Jesus with everything you've got. Because I'm telling you, he works it all out for good. And life is on the other side of trusting Jesus. As we get ready for communion, if you didn't receive communion as you came in and would like to take communion, just raise your hand and these fine people would love to serve you the emblems as we get ready for a meal together.